Well, good morning. morning. Who's feeling great this morning? Come on, it's great to see all of you. I'm excited. My name is Keegan. If we haven't met, I am the lead pastor here at our Belton location. I want to tell you about two things really quickly before we dive into week four of this exciting series on Stronger that we've been in. The first thing is this. How many of you got to go to our vintage conference over the weekend? Raise your hand. Come on, that was incredible. It was the first, so for those of you that missed it, you can never be at the first one. But you can be at the next one, and you're going to want to, and here's why. The thing that I took away, there were so many great things, but one of the biggest things that I took away from that was the reminder that we are a part of something much bigger than just right here in Belton. We are a family of churches. If you don't know, we've got a location in Harker Heights where Pastor Stephen and Kyla, who founded Vintage Church uh, around 10 years ago in their living room, uh, they have that location there. And then Pastor Nate and Ashley down in Liberty Hill to see all of our family come together and just be reminded that it's not just us. There are others who are following God, pursuing God in unity and in step with all of us. It's a, it's a great thing. And so I want to encourage you in this. We have midweeks that happen over at Harker Heights. We'll have other events like Crowned for You Ladies, Forged for You Men, uh, Small Plug. The next one is October 7th. That's a Saturday. I'm actually going to be sharing at that one as well. So I'm excited about that. But I want to encourage you, every chance that you get, in the same way that Pastor Stephen and Pastor Nate are encouraging their local bodies... Let's come together. Come on, go over to Heights and meet some of your extended spiritual family. It's a powerful thing. So I wanted to throw that out there. The other thing is this. We do two really incredible outreach events every single year. The first one is, uh, happens in the spring uh, with uh, Extravaganza. How many of you got to be at that? It was a great event. We had over 500 people. This was the first year that we did it here in Belton. And, and, and the next thing that we do is called Light the Night. And I'm super excited about this. This also, for the first time, will be held right here at our Belton location. Typically, we've, we've gone and we've met at another location, uh, more over in Harker Heights or Nolanville. But this year, for the first time, we're like, listen, we've got to be here for our community to, to be a point of contact so people can come and hear about Jesus. Come on. A lot of people look at that weekend around Halloween as a dark time. First of all, let me tell you something. The devil doesn't just take all the rest of the time off throughout the rest of the year. Halloween is really no darker than any other time of the year. He's still trying to kill, steal, and destroy the other 364 days of the year, okay? But for a lot of people, their focus gets shifted and gets pushed into this, this darkness. We want to be a light in that space. That's what this is about. This is not about us being a church just trying to do a Halloween thing. No, we want to be a light. So we're going to have like kind of a small fall festival feel. There's going to be food. There's going to be petting zoo. There's going to be trunk or treat. So I want to encourage you, go to the QR code, scan that, find out how you can be a part. Whether you want to, to bring your big old pickup full of whatever and you want to decorate that. Now I will say this. Let's keep the decorations PG. We don't need any demons or goblins or creepy stuff like that, right? Come on. I was a, uh, we did a, what we did the last time, we did a, a barn, and my little girl was a chicken. She was the cutest. And so we had hay, and she just sat in the back, and, and she didn't cluck, though, thankfully. But I'm telling you, it's moments like these that people who won't necessarily, they're not necessarily ready to walk through the front doors of a church, they'll come to an event like that. And then if they get around the body of Christ, they get around and they get to experience the love of Christ through an event like that, guess what? It'll lead them to wanting to know more about Jesus. So get registered for that. We'll also have a candy donation. Uh, so we're going to need, I think, 50,000 pieces of candy to make this happen. And so over the next several weeks, there's a bin out there. You can check that out. Bring some candy. Grab a bag when you're out shopping. Grab two bags, five bags, whatever, and throw it in there, okay? All right. I'm talking fast. Am I too fast for you? 
at the conference, I had so much to get through in my session. I told him, I said, I'm going to tap into my 10 years of living in New York, and I'm going to talk really fast. So you're going to have to stay with me. I might still be a little bit in that mode today. If you got your Bibles, we are in week four of this series, Stronger. Come on, do you feel like you're getting stronger? You should be. That's a good thing. I love the song that we sang. We extended our worship. Come on, how many of you appreciated that this morning? We got to spend as much time in the presence of God. There's nothing like worshiping. There's things that you can do at home that you don't need everybody else around for, but there's moments when you come together that you just can't replace at home listening to Spotify. And so we're going to have a little bit longer worship time going forward because we want you to be able to just connect with God and just let him speak to you and just tell him how great he is. Um, but in that, uh, I, want, I was reminded in that song, he reigns over all. When we're talking about spiritual warfare. When we're talking about this battle, the battle is not between God and the devil. That's already been settled. He's already been defeated. That is already done. The battle is with us and the devil. Or us and the unclean spirits. And what I mean by that is, are we going to appropriate and apply and walk in the victory that Christ has already won for us, or are we not? That is where the battle and that is where the struggle is. I don't ever want you to think that God is not big enough or that he hasn't already conquered your foe. He has. It's already a done deal. And so that's the, the posture and the position that we're going through this entire series about. So we're just looking at God. What do we have to do? And what have you given us as tools to overcome in this realm, this spiritual armor that you will? Here's the big idea. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have the tools on your own. But God has given you everything you need. Everything you need. That's right. If you got your Bible, wave it at me. Come on, I said this over at Harker Heights, I think on, at midweek service. Real Christians have real Bibles. Come on, I'm going to keep saying it. And we might get some, you might see a t-shirt pop up somewhere. I believe it though. Real Christians, there's something about having a tangible word of God in your hand. Come on, that you can just open up and read. And be encouraged by it. Ephesians 6.15 says this. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. We're talking about the shoes of peace today. I want to give you some context of what this would look like. Again, when Paul was talking about this, he had this vision. He understood. He had seen and experienced the Roman armor which was the, the baddest army that had ever hit the land. Make no mistake about it. The Romans were known for their, their ability to conquer and rule and reign and how tough they were. The Roman army didn't have helicopters. Think about this, right? There was no flyover stuff. Everything that they did was by foot. They had to physically go there or they, they may have had a chariot or a horse. They had cavalry, but well over 90% of the Roman army was infantry, foot soldiers. They learned from the Medes, the Persians, the Babylonians, and the Greeks. They built roads and connected them all over the empire. This was actually a forerunner to what we experience here in the Western world with our highway system. They could move large numbers of men to where they needed to go, but there was a lot of walking. This is what made the Romans so successful in putting down the rebellion. They were fast and ruthless. Crucifixions along the highways where people traveled. People knew if the Roman army was coming, you better hide or you're going to get taken out. They didn't just run around to play. What eventually led to their fall were battles on the edges of the empire and, and when they battled on too many fronts at once, trying to do too many things at the same time. They must have uh, great footwear, and they had to have great footwear because that was vital, just like in the present day. We know 
If you're in the army, what did they tell you about your feet? Come on, you, can, you, can you get very far with a bunch of soggy socks? No. You got to make sure that your feet stay dry. Why? So that you don't have bacteria, you don't get that jungle rot or that, I don't even know the other stuff you get, but you don't want jungle rot on your feet. You don't want to get to where you have to amputate your feet or your toes just to preserve the rest of your body from infection. Let me give you some characteristics of the Roman footwear. They were shod or bound on. These were not flip-flops. These were not something that were just casually slipped into and then casually dumped off. Not loose-fitting. Think like snowboarding or skiing. How many of you ever done that? Right? Once you put that boot on, it's locked in. You're like, man, you can't go anywhere, right? And once you get locked into the snowboard, <laughs> wherever that snowboard's going, you're going for the ride. So you better be ready for it. But it's strapped in. It's, it's, it's not just something that your foot can just pop out of. They had two parts. The greave had two plates covered from the knee to the shin, and then the calf on the back was bound together with leather straps. They were reinforced with brass, little pieces of brass over the foot with thick leather soles, similar to steel-toed shoes. Come on, these are like the, the old-school red wings. Come on, if we got some hard workers in here know what I'm talking about. They had spikes on the bottom, nail spikes on the bottom, made for, partly for stepping on people. I'm telling you, these people were ruthless. And to keep from slipping when climbing up and down hills. And lastly, they were both offensive and defensive weapons. They were made for stance but also for destruction. That's important. Intimidating to see them coming in. The Romans stopped for no one but their commander. What if the church was like that? What if the only one that stopped us from advancing the gospel was Jesus? Do you know that is actually the case or should be the case? The only time they should be able to tell a Christian to keep their mouth shut is if Jesus is asking you to hold your tongue. Other than that, we should be like, nope, you don't have the authority to tell me I can't talk about God. This is what we need to teach our students. People talk about where the school system's at. Listen, you can, you can worry all you want about the, the, the teachers and the leaders. How many more people are in the schools, the students or the teachers? Students. So what would happen if the teachers want to do one thing, but all the students want to talk about Jesus? Right? The teacher can't, they can't tell the student. They have freedom of speech. They can't tell the student you can't talk about Christ. I mean, I, I would love to see. We got, we got two, um, two new babies, both named Gideon. Right? We got a Giddy Bear and Giddy, I think is the other one they're, they're calling. Listen, Gideon's a great story, right? Listen, you could insert some of Gideon's story in your math class. Talking about some numbers, right? Well, we only have this much. Well, let me talk to you about multiplication. And I know a story about multiplication. And I know a story about what God can do with, with a little. You know, what if we had, what if our kids were so on fire and knew so much about God's word that they could interject it in, in all the different opportunities in their classrooms? You don't have to wait for the teacher to, to, to talk about God. Let your kids start the conversation. It's got to think differently. Being a light. So Paul using this piece of armor to describe peace is both significant and ironic. God's called us to action in sharing the gospel of peace. We've said this before. The Christian faith, the Christian uh, life is one of action. It's not passive. There's no such thing as passive Christianity. You won't find it in your Bible where people just, they met Christ, they got saved, and then they just hit off by themselves and didn't have any interaction with anybody and just went into hermit mode. That is not the Christian life. 
I'll tell you what also is not a part of the Christian life, being an undercover Christian. Well, I'm a, well, I think I said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about in your, in your market, in the job, in your marketplace. Do people know that you're a follower of Christ or do you just keep it top secret? Oh, they don't even know that I go to church. They should know you go to church. And you should have invited them about 10 times already. But that's not a thing. We're called to action. This taking the gospel, advancing the kingdom, it requires action. While it is offensive to tell someone they are headed for hell and need to bow their knee to Jesus for salvation, for those that are being saved, the gospel brings unimaginable peace. This is always the case. Jesus, there is a dividing line. You are either for Jesus, for Christ, or you are against him. Well, I'm not against Jesus. I don't think. If you're not following him, you're not for him. People are like, I don't want to hear that. It's, it's that simple. Just like at the end of your life, you're going one direction. There's an elevator, and you're going up or you're going down. I hope you're going up. But you're either going to, there's with God or there's against God. That's just how it works. And a lot of times we don't want to tell people that because if they're not ready to be for God, then we, they feel like they're condemned. Guess what? You are condemned. Just like I'm condemned. If I do not accept Jesus Christ and what he's done for my life, I am condemned. And hell is what is awaiting me. But hell was never made for us. God did not intend for any. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is not God's desire for a single person to go to hell. But people choose hell by not choosing Christ. I just want you to be empowered. I want you to, when you get into a conversation, I don't want you to just, oh, I don't know if there's any other ways to get there. I don't know if there's any other opportunity. Or maybe you're not going exactly to hell. Maybe you'll go to some other place. No, we need to be clear. We need to be able to, like, uh, I think it's Peter says, you need to be able to have an answer. You need to be able to account for the faith that you have. You need to be able to answer those questions and give clear and decisive uh, truth to people. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Peace isn't just a good idea. It is actually part of our inheritance. The whole world wants peace. The only true peace comes through Christ. And we're going to talk about this in, uh, later on, but God has called us to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Do you know there's a difference? Peacemakers are willing to rock the, the proverbial apple cart if need be. They're willing to shake things up so that truth is established and truth is made known. They're not just trying to appease everyone. Jesus didn't come just, the Bible says he came, he didn't come to appease the world. He came to share truth. He came to give of himself. He came to sacrifice himself, and he came to establish his kingdom on the earth. I'm feeling better about being a Christian the more I go through this. But here's, here's our problem. It's part of our inheritance, but as we've been talking about, there's an enemy that wants to steal that inheritance and go after our peace. So let's talk about three strategies of the enemy to steal your peace. Number one, he'll try self-doubt. He'll try self-doubt. If you read your Bible, attend church and pray like you were supposed to, you wouldn't have these problems. You ever have a thought like that? If you were just a better Christian, you wouldn't, you wouldn't struggle with your finances. If you just loved God more, then your kids would act right. 
Come on, anybody ever dealt with some of these lies? Listen, there's a father of lies, and that is the devil. That is our enemy. God's never going to condemn you. God will never tell you, uh, if you were just better at, at loving me, then, then I would do some more stuff for you. This doesn't work like that. It's not based on your merit. We talked about that last week. It is totally based on the grace and the gift of God. Some of us need to get over ourselves. I think it's C.S. Lewis that says, that, that says you, we, we don't need to think less of ourselves. We just need to think of ourselves less. Come on, this is how we keep our peace. Satan will try to keep your eyes on you, on yourself, but that is where your peace uh, will fade. Philippians 3.13 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We've got to learn how to overcome self-doubt. And the first thing that we do is we've got to let go and learn from the past. You can learn from the past, but don't stay in the past. Right? We don't need to dismiss everything that we've learned in the past. But the things that you need to let go of, you've got to let go of them. If Jesus, I'll keep saying this, if Jesus doesn't hold on to your past, why are you holding on to it? You are forgiven. When the Bible says that you're made new, that you're a new, Christ, a new creation in Christ, take that, believe it, and run with it. And operate from that place going forward in the rest of your life. Don't let the enemy keep pulling you back to what you've done. And old Christians, old pastors used to say this. Anytime the devil reminds you of what you've done in your past, remind him of his future. You ever heard that? It's so true. Come on, he's just trying to keep you. He's just trying to get company where he's going to be miserable. I'm not, living, I'm not living with him. I'm not spending eternity with him. God's made a way for me not to have to. Number two, got to move on in the present. Be present. What are you doing in your life right now in your walk with Christ? Are you actively pursuing God? Are you, are you intentionally making time to be with him, to, to learn more about him, to, to study his word? To, to find out what it is that he's called you to do specifically. We all have a, a, this thing called a general calling, right? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We're all called to go and make disciples, to lay hands on the sick and, and believe for them to be healed, to cast out devils. Yes, you can cast a devil out of someone. Not by your own strength, but by the power of God, the Holy Spirit working in you. You can tell that unclean spirit to go and see someone set free. Like, I don't know about that. Yes, you can. He's given you the authority. Also, you've got to keep your eyes on the future. Come on, you've got you've to have a vision of where you're going. If you get on that highway in your car and all you're looking at is the present, the steering wheel right in front of you, it's not going to be long before you're going to be smashing into someone or something. You've got to be looking farther down the road. Now listen, I know there's all these thoughts about, well, do you have a five-year plan? Do you have a ten-year plan? Listen, you should have a plan. You should have a goal. Now, it'll be up to the Lord whether or not those things come to pass. It'll be up to him and your diligence and faithfulness to work the plan that he's given you. But, but spiritually, we need to have our eyes set on the future, starting with this. I'll tell you one of the best ways to keep your, your life in perspective and context, look at eternity and work backwards. Set your eyes on eternity and spend your time doing the things, pouring into the things like people that have eternal and lasting value. 
We can spend a whole lot of time, a whole lot of money, a whole lot of resources on earthly things that the Bible says moth and rust will, will destroy and, and it will pass away and it will be meaningless. Or we can spend our time pursuing God and reaching people and seeing things that have eternal value. If he can't get you with self-doubt, he'll try God-doubt. Come on, he started with this right in the garden and he hasn't changed. He still will try and get you to doubt God. Have you, here's, but here's how we overcome it. You've got to know the truth. John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If, somebody say if, you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This Bible is your greatest source of knowing God. But if you just look at it and have it placed neatly on, on an end table, it's not going to do anything for you. You'll still walk around powerless. And I love that this verse says, if you continue. I read my Bible years, 14 years ago I read a couple scriptures. Okay. Then what? What have you done for me lately? Or should I say, what have you done for yourself lately? Get back in God's word. Continually get in front of you. Listen, we've already talked about this over and over. The enemy is not uh, taking pauses on trying to convince you of what he wants you to believe. The social media just keeps coming, the, the shows, especially this time of the year. Look at the commercials for the movies and all the junk that, that they start to bring out around Halloween. It gets grosser and creepier to the point, like, you can't even let your kid watch a commercial after, like, 5.30 in the afternoon. Because they're just trying to just fill it with all these demonic, just gross garbage. But if the enemy's continually trying to put stuff in front of you, what do you think we need to do? Why do you think God said for us to continually put his truth in front of us? Number two, we've got to identify the source. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. In John 10, 10, you probably have this verse memorized. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. You've got to identify the source. We talked about this whole battlefield is in our mind. It's about our thought life. It's about taking captive those thoughts that, that come into our minds, whether it's from our own uh, sinful nature or whether it's from, a, 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 you know, an outside source, like an unclean spirit. But when you get a thought that says, I think you ought to, I think you ought to take your own life. That's not a God thought. When you get a thought that says, you know what, you're just, really, uh, you're just really failing as a husband. That's not how God talks to us. God might come to us and say, hey, hey, Charlie, you do a lot of great, you do a lot of great things for your wife. And I want to give you, and I want to I tell you about another thing that I think you could do that would even, even help you and take you up to another level when it comes to being a, a husband. Come on, God's not just up here looking for how he can tell us how we suck at stuff. I haven't actually asked if you're allowed to say suck in church. We have several of our elders here. I'll, I'll ask them after. I'll find another word. Too late now. I'll refrain, I'll refrain going forward. I've just, this is me. But here's the reality. You've got to know. You should be able to quickly identify the thoughts that come into your mind, the ones that are from God and the ones that are not. And I'm telling you some advice, if you want to have peace and have uh, staying peace in your mind, keep 
the thoughts that, that don't come from God out. Don't dwell on them. Don't let them stay. Don't let them. The Bible says they want to build a stronghold so that they, they stick in your mind and they torment you over and over. You don't have to live that way. You take that thought captive and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm not worthy in and of myself. But the one that I love, the one who I've committed my life to, who's, who, who I am in, they say that I'm worthy because of what he's done. I'm worthy in Christ. Reject the doubt with the truth. This is the last way that we do this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways. Say all your ways. That means all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Come on, do you want to walk the straight and narrow? Or do some of you like just squirreling around and not knowing where you're going and ending up in places you don't want to be in? No, we want to walk the straight and narrow. We want to get directly from A to Z, right? A straight line is the fastest way to get to where we need to go. We don't need to waste our time. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. These are things that, that God is telling us we must do. It's up to us to stay humble. It's up to us to not get too wise in our own eyes. Right? We've got to come to God and say, Lord, I acknowledge your ways are above mine. I just read yesterday in, in my session, Isaiah 55, where God talks about his, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And then I love that he qualifies that and says, and by the way, I, what I mean is my thoughts are much higher than yours. Some people are like, well, God's thoughts aren't mine, and, and, they, and, and they think God's thoughts are actually lower than theirs. No. God's thoughts are far above ours. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. In Mark 9.19, he replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him, Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. See, up until this point, this gentleman believed a lie that his son would have to stay this way and be tormented for all of his life. Said he had been that way from childhood. And he believed this lie. And he didn't, he didn't have the faith or know that it didn't have to be that way. But look what Jesus says to him. If you can, like, what do you mean if I can? I'm God Almighty. Some of you need to be reminded, you don't just have a God who desires to do things. He actually is powerful enough to do them. Our God is not just willing, he's also able. Some of you are like, I'm in situations where I just don't know how this is, it's going to get better. It's going to turn around. And you're, you're almost, God, can this, can this change? Can this be different? And he's going, what do you mean, can it? Do you, do you, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who's, who I am, that I've risen from the dead, that I've conquered sin and death? You've you got to be reminded of who you're asking. Bible says his hand is not too short that he can't reach out and, and save us. God is able. That could take me into a whole other message. Everything, say everything, everything, is possible for the one who believes. There it is. Question is not his ability. The question is your belief. Will you believe him? Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I love this. Pastor Stephen said this yesterday. There's a difference between having some doubt and having unbelief. 
You may have some doubt, like, I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Jesus, we got two loaves and three fish or whatever it was in the basket, and there's a whole lot of people here. You may have some doubts of how it's going to happen, but you can still believe. Okay, but God, you said you can do the impossible, so I believe you. we got to be this way in our life. Let me keep going. If he can't get you with God doubt, he'll move on to people doubt. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We've been talking about this. If he can't get you to doubt yourself, if he can't get you to doubt in God, he will certainly try and pit you against other people. Come on, you hear this all the time. This, the people, well, I've been hurt, so I don't trust anyone anymore ever. And so they're closed off. And you know what? You lose. You lose in life when you're closed off and you can't be opened up to God having other people be a part of your life. Don't let the devil keep you in isolation because you got hurt one time. Or there's people say this a lot. Well, I've got church hurt. I love how Pastor Nate says this. There's no such thing as church hurt. You got hurt by a person who was a part of a church. Don't blame the whole church. It's okay. If that person hurts you, then that person hurts you. Then we can try and work that out, sort it out, or maybe you just need to move on. But... The church does not, is not hurting people. People hurt people. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is Romans 12. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is what we're called to do. As far as it depends on whatever we can do, we need to make the effort to be at peace with people. Now, that doesn't mean, and I'll tell you this, in this culture, in this society... Being at peace with people doesn't mean that we just tolerate and accept everything. That is not what that means. And there are a lot of Christians who don't understand that, who think that, that, that even want to attack other Christians when they stand up and say, no, uh, marriage is for one biological man, one biological woman. And, and there is no, God doesn't make mistakes with gender. And I'll hit this as many times as I have to because our culture needs to hear it. We're not backing down from it. God's truth is what will outlast all of this cultural garbage. And I'll tell you this. You need to be loving. You need to be loving. And when you get into conversations, hey, I love you. Can I tell you? God has better for you. That's the posture. But living at peace doesn't mean that we just tolerate and accept whatever anyone wants to think about God or whatever anyone wants to think about no, not how it works. I'm almost done. Look at your neighbor say he's almost done. I got to go quick. Unresolved conflict. We cannot have unresolved conflict. Romans 15, 13. It kills our joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've got unresolved conflict, can I tell you, deal with it. Bible says in Matthew 18 to go and approach that person that, that you're having an offense with or that offended you or hurt you. Go and deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the days just pass with unresolved. Some people have for years have unresolved conflict. It's adding stress to your life. It's not good. You need to approach people and ask the Lord to help you. Number two, it hinders our, our worship. Unresolved conflict hinders our worship. The Bible actually talks about when you go to, to present your gift to God, that if you have an offense with somebody else, first leave your gift there and go deal. Go make that right. Go make that relationship right and then come back and present your gift to the Lord. 
it matters. There's no such thing as just all I'm focused on is this way relationship with me and God and I'm not worried about this. No, they're tied together. I think we might do a series sometime on, on the one and others and you'll see just how much God talks about how our relationship with him is affected and tied to our relationship with one another. You can't love people and hate God. You can't love God and hate people. It just doesn't work. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23. So if you're offering your gift, here it is, on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Again, you may not even be the one that had something against them, but if you remember they have something against you, it's on you to go and make it right. Go and be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. Three, it hurts our relationship with God. First John 4, 20. I'm just going to be a couple minutes over. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. Come on, you hear people say this all the time. Well, I love God, I just can't stand people. Nope. Not a biblical statement. Not a biblical posture. It doesn't work. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I want to end with this verse, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It is on us to be peacemakers in this world. And the only way that you truly get peace is when you deal with lies, you deal with untruth, and you establish truth. You've got to face it head on. I'm going to give you six steps as we close. She's going to add some beautiful background music for us. Six steps of a peacemaker. Number one, go first. Come on, stop waiting for somebody else. Go first. Number two, own your part. We got to own our part. Be willing to admit when you're wrong. Be, be, be willing to admit when even your tone was wrong and your delivery was wrong, even though your message and, and what you had to say was right. Number three, seek perspective. Come on, do you have all the answers? Do you know everything? Do you get it perfectly right all the time in every situation? Nope, neither do I. So when we go into conversations with people, let's seek to understand and, and seek perspective. Number four, speak the truth in love. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to die for the world. He always spoke the truth in love. Focus on the solution. Number five, when you get together and you're trying to work through something, you're trying to bring peace and, and make peace, you've got to focus on the solution. You can talk endlessly about the problem, but at the end of it, what are you going to do about it? How are we going to resolve it and bring reconciliation? And last, focus on the relationship. Yes, people want to be right, and it matters when things are right. But at the end of the day, we can, we can be right and still be wrong. If we don't value people and people don't know that they're the most important aspect of this whole thing. Right? God said to love him with all our soul, all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You can be right, but is it worth destroying a person over it? No. Value, whatever you, whatever you can do to preserve relationship, preserve. Some of us are so quick to burn bridges. What if Jesus was just as quick to burn a bridge with us as we are with others? Be slow, be patient, forgive. Last verse, John 13, 35. I thought I had already got to the last one. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world's watching us world's watching us and they're not going to want to be a part of any family where all they do is see endless fighting and bickering and gossiping and backbiting and backstabbing and all that they're not going to want to be a part of a family like that but people should be able to look at it and say 
oh, I said this yesterday in the, in the conference. Even outside of these walls, when we're out and about in the community and people find out what church we go to, they ought to go, oh, I've met a couple other people that go to that church. Y'all are some of the most loving people. You, you're some of the most, like, the kindest people, the most generous people. Our reputation should precede us in the community. Kept you a little bit because we worshiped a little longer. You all right? All right, let me get you out of here, though, because we've got the next group coming in. If you would, just bow your head, close your eyes. I'll say this a lot. I like to have fun, but I'm absolutely serious about God and my love for God. And if you're here today, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to him, put your faith in him, don't leave here today without doing it. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today can be your day where you step out of your old life and your old self and you accept what Christ has done for you and you become a new creation in him. And we want to help you with that. So if that's you today, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three. And also, if you're here and maybe you've just been drifting, you've already given your life to Christ, but truly you're not walking with him. And your relationship is, is distant at best. But today you're realizing, God, I need to get serious with you again. I want to get close to you again and follow you. I want to fully commit my life again to you. Then you can raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you as well on the count of three. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. Just lift your hand. Thank you for those hands. You're never the only one. Church, let's just pray this together. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you, just pray this from your heart directly to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the price for my sin that I couldn't pay, to make a way for me to be in relationship with you so that I could know you. So I can know my purpose in this life. I choose you. And I receive your free gift of salvation. And I ask you today. And for the rest of my life. To not only be my savior. But to also be my Lord. I will follow you all of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.